Okay, welcome to everybody. Everybody all excited? Yes. That's a good sign. When you say, everybody all excited, and you get, yes. Well, at least she said yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm excited to share this message about prayer tonight. We all need prayer. Amen? Nobody needs prayer more than Shelly Prindle and the people she surrounds herself with. Okay, I'm telling you. Um, it was very interesting, just a funny story, speaking of needing prayer. Hope and Passion Ministries traveled yesterday to New Stanton Alliance Church to a ladies' tea. I was going to speak at a ladies' tea. Now, how many of you know that Shelly Prindle is not a ladies' tea type of girl? <laughs> okay, so we traveled to go to this ladies' tea, and I take some Hope and Passion people with me, of course, and Karen and I and Bria pull up in my car, and Karen's the only one, of course, that's dainty enough to have actual teacups to bring. So we were supposed to bring them. She brought them for us. So we pull up in the car, and we look over to our left, and we hear this loud, roaring noise. And there's Amy Slavka in her husband's monster truck. She pulls up to the church for a lady's tea in a monster truck, you know, and she stops, and I'm pointing at her, mouth agape, I'm laughing, I'm saying, can you believe she pulled up in a monster truck to a lady's tea, and all of a sudden she revs on the gas pedal, and black diesel fuel smoke comes out of the side, all over my car, you know, so we come in with a bang, and everybody's talking about, who brought the diesel truck, you know, so we go into the lady's tea, and, um, Bria is just enamored with the cucumber sandwiches. And so at a lady's tea, I think you're supposed to be dainty and polite. And she keeps whispering about these cucumber sandwiches. So I say, you start passing the plates around, girls. So I take all the plates off the tray. We're going to other tables, getting their trays of sandwiches. They're supposed to be finger sandwiches, you know. We're down like 10, 12 sandwiches, make up, you know, make up for the size of them. And I just think it was, you know, we were acting a little bit ludicrous. But to boot, this is, this is the top rough, and this is why you ought to pray for me as I travel about in my ministry. And if you're parked beside me, look out. Okay, so we come out, and I had driven my car. So we're leaving, and it's raining. So me being the very kind person I am, I say to Amy and Bria and Karen, and the very nice lady who hosted us, her name was Claudia from New Stanton Alliance, I say to them, why don't you stay all here on the porch and I will run to the car in the rain and get the car and pick you guys up so we can get the equipment back and put everything back in the car. So, okay, I get in the car, and this is just typical me. Turn on the engine. Not a care in the world. Put the car in reverse. And I don't do anything half-hearted. How many of you are aware of that? I don't do anything slowly, half-hearted, easily. Just put the car in reverse, full-fledged on the gas pedal. I'm going to back up so I can get a good angle to pick them up. Back straight up into Claudia's car. Oh, no, not, not Claudia's car. Back straight up into the car behind me. And I look over on the stoop, and there is all my hope and passion entourage. And this is, all I remember is Amy Slav, because I didn't know her jaw could drop so low. I'm looking over, and all five of them are standing there like this. And apparently, I hit the thing so hard that when I pulled away from it, how many times, see Karen's hands? The car just kept going like this, like jello, they say, for like five times, just back and forth. And they all just, now I'm in the car laughing my head off. Great speaker that I am. Have much compassion and sympathy for the car I just hit. Didn't look to see if I did damage. Just pulled straight over to the porch and I am laughing my head off. And apparently a couple things were said while they were on the porch waiting for me to come over. I, bet, I, I guess there was about a minute of dead silence, right, Bria? Nobody said a word, okay? Then all of a sudden, Amy said? What did you say, Amy? <laughs> I guess you won't be invited back here. And then somebody apparently whispered to Claudia, the gracious host, was that your car? <laughs> and Claudia said, no, that was Martha's car. Now, Martha was 70 years old and celebrating her birthday yesterday. So anyway... <laughs> We came in and left with quite a bang. Now, tomorrow I'm traveling to the big church of Mars Alliance to do another ladies' event. So please keep us in prayer. Okay. And if you're looking for something fun to do, come along because it's never a dull moment with Hope and Passion Ministries. Okay. Prayer is the topic tonight, and we're going to talk about the way that Paul taught us to pray in Ephesians chapter 3 because it is my... I don't know if you agree with me, but it's my belief and observation from being in de mixed denominations of Christian schools for 15 years and in a church setting 
that as a body of Christ, we're missing something when it comes to prayer. And that oftentimes our prayer life can get kind of flat, kind of dull, and I'm sure that we're missing out on miracles and we're missing out on things that the Lord really wants to do in our lives because we're just not grasping this thing called prayer. And I find, like I said in the announcement this morning, I I find it sad that it seems a lot of Christians view prayer as an obligation, a formality, um, a religious thing. Oftentimes I find it sad that I find Christian families, the, the most amount of time that they ever spend praying is when they speak a memorized or wrote prayer at the kitchen table. You know? How does that go? We said something about... Um, yeah, but we had a different one in my house. But you've got the God is good. And, there's, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that to teach the the posture of prayer. But if all we're doing is now I lay me down to sleep and God is good and wrote prayers, we're not entering into true conversation and communication with God. Amen? We need to model that to our kids. So I just want to talk to you about prayer And uh, one of the places that Paul really prays, an interesting prayer that gives us kind of a model of where to go with this thing, is Ephesians chapter 3. But before we actually go to Ephesians chapter 3, we have to think about the book of Ephesians in its context. Ephesians happens to be one of Paul's prison epistles. So he wrote this book probably during his first Roman imprisonment. But at any rate, he was imprisoned at the time of its writing, and he was writing to a people who were facing persecution in their own lives. And I want to go to his opening statements for the book to give you a tone or a feel of Paul's thoughts about God and life before we see how he prayed. Because how you pray will be directly affected By your view of God, how big or small it is. Amen? If you're going to have an effective prayer life, you have to have a very large view of God. A very small view of yourself, a very large view of God, and a focus on what God values. So Ephesians chapter 1, I'm actually going to take this from the King James Version because when I memorized this years and years ago, this passage in particular I memorized in the King James Version. I used to be at a school that was a King James only school. Uh, here we emphasize the NIV version. I personally like the NASB, but then I got an ESV study Bible, and all my Bible memory verses are all jumbled up. So we're going to go to the King James right now, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. All right. Now, again, this is not the prayer that Paul prayed, but I want us to get a feel for how Paul viewed God, his big view of God. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, let's stop there and ask a question. Did Paul guarantee that we as Christians in this life have access to all physical blessings? No, he did not say that here. And I can guarantee you that we do not have access to everything being physically perfect in this life. Let's just read Romans chapter 8. All right? God does intervene and do miracles in the physical realm. God still heals people. He can raise people from the dead. And I know that he's doing that in different places around the world. But the emphasis that Paul gives is that we as Christians literally, quite literally, have access To how many spiritual blessings right now? Say it proudly. All spiritual blessings. We as Christians have access to all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Here's the problem. We're not living in the heavenly places. We're living carnal lives. We are so focused on our stuff. Me too. Are we guilty of that? We are so focused on the day-to-day living and the stuff that we have and taking care of the stuff that we have and our own agendas and our own busyness that we are simply not tuned in. We are not living in heavenly places. But if we were, God promises you have access to every spiritual blessing. When I travel around and speak, there are people who say, Shelly, how do you get the energy to speak when I know you're struggling with that diabetes? When Sometimes I get up to speak and my blood sugar will be 350. And for those of you who are diabetics, you know what that feels like. How do you do that? I don't have every physical blessing in this life. 
you know what I got? Every spiritual blessing. And if you have access to every spiritual blessing, you have everything you need to power through whatever you face in this world. Amen? You agree with me? We have access to every spiritual blessing. So it's time that we as the church of Jesus Christ start living and focusing on heavenly places. Not so much the stuff around us. Now the Bible says we've been given this according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. There is not a person in this sanctuary tonight who should feel like a reject. Because you have been what, according to this verse? You have been chosen. When were you chosen? After you brushed yourself off and made yourself good enough? When were you chosen? Before the foundation of the world. God stepped back and elected you and said, I want her, I want him for my kingdom. I want Evan Buchanan, to have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose Evan Buchanan when? Before the world was even created. How does it feel like when, when you were young and you didn't get, kicked for the, get picked for the kickball team? How does it feel to be a reject? I was never a reject in the kickball department. I was pretty wicked. <laughs> I could kick a ball really hard, and people wanted me on their team. But I've felt rejected in life in other ways, and many times we do. But I want you to know, when you go to God in prayer, number one, start living in the heavenly places. Start focusing on the spiritual blessings. Number two, understand when you go to God that you are chosen by him. He loves you. He wants you to have access to all these blessings that we're going to talk about. Now, here's the key. According as we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be happy and comfortable in our lives. Okay? Here's the problem with our prayers today. I was talking to Paul Tierney after service this morning a little bit about this. Here's the problem. The purpose of our lives is about God, not about us. The purpose of prayer is to focus on God, not me. I was chosen to be what? Comfortable, happy, content? What was I chosen to be? You can say it proudly like you're happy about it. <laughs> I was chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Our prayers should be less focused on what we think we need. God, get me approved for that loan so I can get the house or the car I want. God, you know, work this circumstances out, work this situation out. God, help me with my hangnail, you know. We pray all these prayers, and our focus should be, God, make me like Jesus Christ. Do whatever it takes, make me holy. Wow, I'm a popular preacher. Aren't I? <laughs> no. no, people don't like to hear this, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. If you're looking for happiness in your life, you are never going to find it. If your goal is to pursue happiness, forget it. It's a lost cause. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. You were chosen to be holy. So make the pursuit of your prayer life, God, I want to get closer and closer and closer to you. Now the Bible says we have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And that's a reference to Jesus. Now watch this. In whom we have two things, redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Amen? In Jesus tonight, you have two things. And if you don't recognize and really grasp that you have these two things, you, your prayer life will be a mess. Because you will not be confident enough to enter in and pursue the things of God. So Paul has a very big view, big view of God. And he understands that I've been given two things, Paul said. And remember who Paul was, by the way. What did he do, even as an adult, before he came to the Lord? What did he make a living at doing? Persecuting. And let's just call it for what it is, killing. Under Paul, Stephen was killed. Paul was essentially a murderer, and not just a random murderer, but a murderer of the people of God. Amen? So Paul had a big reason to say, look, I can boldly go and pray. I deserve to be able to pray, not because of who I am, 
but because I've received the redemption of my life through God, the, the forgiveness of my sins, and I have received redemption through the blood of Jesus. Now, what does the word redeemed mean when you see that in the Bible? Anybody? To be bought back, to pay the ransom for. So I want to talk about two things here. When you go to God, you've got to be confident in knowing this. Number one, Jesus has paid the ransom for you to be free from the power of sin. Amen? I'm going to get into that in detail in a little bit. But you, if you are sitting here in this sanctuary, it is not by your good works, it is not by your, the power of your own flesh that you are ever going to defeat sin and feel worthy to go into God's presence. Amen? It is Jesus' blood that has redeemed you. That means bought you back from the power of sin. Sin cannot master Shelley Prindle if I line myself up with Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. The redemption by his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Now look at this. My sins have been washed away. And before I go into the presence of God, just like Pastor mentioned this morning, sin is a hindrance to going into the presence of God. Amen? You can't carry willful sin into the presence of God and think that your communication is going to be hunky-dory. It's not. Okay? You've got, that's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Oh, man. Okay. Forget, I didn't say that youth group. I should have said some other word. I'm still cool. All right, so the forgiveness of sins. Now listen, sometimes as Christians we say, you know, you might, you might be sitting there, you might be saying, Shelly, but you don't know the things that I think. You don't know the things that I've done. All right, that may be true. Let me tell you something. This verse says that you have received the forgiveness of your sins according to what? Say it out loud. According to what? When you read the Bible, sometimes you've got to step back and ask yourself this question. What is the Bible not saying? Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Yvonne Simmons has received the forgiveness of her sins according to her efforts. Does it? It doesn't say that Vicki Boer has received the forgiveness of her sins according to how good she's been these past two weeks. Does it? What does it say? It's according to the what? The riches of his grace. I am forgiven commensurate with how rich God is in grace. And how rich is God in grace? Somebody tell me. Boundless and infinite. Thank you for the mathematical term. Yay! Favorite student, favorite student. Okay, infinite. God's, God's grace is infinite. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than any force on the face of the earth. It is infinite in its power. So you are not forgiven according to your goodness and your efforts and how, how well you think you're doing. Shelley Prindle can go into God's presence in accordance with how big God's grace is, not how great I am. Amen? And I just want to say that when praying for this service tonight, God's Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart that there were going to be people in here who their number one problem with prayer is you feel unworthy to go into the presence of God and really commune with Him. Wipe that from your brain. We are all unworthy. Everyone. We become worthy through the grace of Jesus Christ. It is according to the riches of his grace. And some of you might need to write in the margin of your Bible, not according to the goodness of myself. Amen? To the riches of his grace. So this is the setup for Paul's view of God and how we ought to be viewing God and how we ought to be viewing ourselves in a major way before we even consider our prayer life. Now, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, outline the prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. It begins, though, here in verse 12. He kind of prefaces what he's going to talk about. And notice, by the way, I just want to call this out up on the screen. I have listed that we're using the NIV version. And what is that right after there that I have written? 1984. All right? Be very careful. The, the latest edition of the NIV version is gender neutral to the point of sacrificing good, solid theology. So if you're looking for an NIV version Bible, you want to go back. There's not a lot of them in the bookstores that are 1984 version. You need to get online and find yourself one. All right, here we go. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul said, look, in Jesus and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with what? What two things? 
say it. Freedom and confidence. Okay, to set yourself up for a successful prayer life, you need to memorize the scripture. In Jesus, we have the ability to go to God with freedom and with confidence. This is amazing to me. That little, pathetic, confused, sinful Shelley Prindle can actually lift my heart up to God at any time, driving down the highway, in my own home, wherever I am, I can lift my heart up to God and talk to him about whatever's on my mind. That is freedom. And that is what God wants us to do. Prayer is not something you only do in church. It's not something you only do at a prescribed time or prescribed place. It is something you do all the time. First Thessalonians 5.17 says pray always without ceasing. You can do this with total and absolute freedom. And lots of times a religious feeling Sometimes the the church walls around us and the way that we've been raised and the culture that we've been exposed to holds us back from having true freedom. All right? Now, there's all different types of personalities in this world, and God honors the personalities that he has made and given. But I believe some of us in this place need to feel more free to open up to God. Amen? And all four people said... Amen, Shelley. Yeah, got you there. Okay, I'm going to put on my reading glasses because I want to take you to Luke chapter 18. We're talking about this freedom. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and and we're going to start at verse 35. This is one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. If you have my first book, Real Life, Real God, Real Hope, there's a devotion in there called Are You Desperate? And this is written about this account in the Bible. And it's really important to understand. The blind beggar, we find in another gospel that his name is Bartimaeus. If you look at Luke 18:35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, his profession at this point, he doesn't have one. What is he? He spends his life doing what? Begging. Now, if you're a beggar, by implication, what? who do you depend on? Other people. You with me? So he depends on other people. When he hears that this Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's what I want to emphasize. In the Greek... In verse 38, the word for call out is a very strong Greek word. And it means to call out as the raven calls out. You guys ever hear a raven? What's their call like? It's pretty uh, pretty wild, pretty piercing. Okay, everybody just take a breather, look somewhere else. I'm going to tie my shoe. This is what you do when you're a professional speaker. If you know there's a distraction and the people are going to be distracted by it, you just deal with it right away. My shoe is untied. I'm going to tighten the other one so we don't have to do this again. Never wear brand new Nikes when you preach. Okay, here we go. So he calls out. Now the key is he called out with the call of a raven. So this was an annoying, piercing call out. This is a beggar. He has no business, no status in life, and now he's going to annoy people by screaming out for Jesus. Those who led him, verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is what often our society does when we go to really call out to God. And unfortunately, it is also what many people in the church do when a person goes to really call out to God. Shame on us. Calling out to God can sometimes be a rather, like Pastor said this morning, I loved his message this morning, sometimes calling out to God can be rather, anybody remember the word he used? Messy. Okay? Call out. Don't hold back. Don't let people stop you. They told, they were like, shut up, don't do that. But he shouted all the more with the call of a raven, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. 
and follow Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. This guy felt free to cry out to Jesus. Amen? He didn't care what anybody thought. And when I wrote a devotion on this, I remember saying one particular thing, and this is, this, this is pivotal for prayer. This guy who was, I love to use, by the way, one of my favorite things, Yvonne might remember this, when I was a principal, I pride myself, right, Melody, in saying words that are made of three words, okay? Like, heretofore. <laughs> love that word. Okay, so, nevertheless, okay? Heretofore is one of my personal favorites. So, you have this guy who heretofore, I love that, make sure it's on the tape, who heretofore was a beggar. This man used to pin his hopes on people But when he saw Jesus Christ walk by, he decided to pin his hopes instead of on all the crowds on the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? And when you go to pray, you call out with freedom knowing this. You have the right, because of what Jesus has done, to grab hold of him and say, I will not pin my hopes on my job, my employer, my spouse, my family, my house, my 401k, my status, My career, I will not pin my hopes on anyone or anything. I will call out with the call of a raven and pin my hopes on the one man. Amen? Jesus Christ. You've got to be desperate and you've got to understand he is the only answer. That is freedom. The freedom to say, I don't care what people think about me. I'm calling out to Jesus. I don't care what they say. I'm living for him 100%. Amen? And who cares if they think you're crazy? Believe me, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, then we go to confident. Okay, not only are we free to do it and should we feel freed up to do it, but we should absolutely be confident when we go into his presence that God is hearing us because of who Jesus is. Amen? Listen, and and again, I just feel the Holy Spirit really wants to emphasize this for some reason for some people in the room. You have every reason through Jesus Christ. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you did it yesterday or 20 years ago. If you have put your sins under the blood of Jesus, you should be confident to go to God. Amen? And I want to give you one of, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful examples of a man who learned confidence despite his sinfulness. The man Peter. A story that we often don't talk about with Peter, and it's in John chapter 21. So speaking of confidence, let's go to John chapter 21. So if you struggle with freedom, you go to blind Bartimaeus. If you struggle with confidence, uh, John chapter 21, the last chapter of John's gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead and he has appeared to his disciples. He appeared to John and Peter, who if your kids are into... Well, any child you should share this with. John chapter 20, at the beginning of the chapter, John and Peter have a little foot race to the tomb. You read the story and find out who's faster. Okay, but they have a little foot race to the tomb, so they see Jesus. Jesus appears to the disciples, we read in verse 19, in the evening. It's a really cool story. The doors were all locked and shut. Jesus appeared to the disciples. I love that. Our new glorified bodies, you know, we're kind of like, can transport through walls and stuff. That's cool. Can't wait for that. Okay, and then he appears to Thomas. Then in in chapter 21, Jesus, look at this, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. There were seven of the disciples there when Jesus appeared at the sea. And Peter, in verse 3, said, I'm going out to fish. So the other six guys followed him. They all got into a boat and they go out fishing. Um, They weren't catching anything all night. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. So he called out to them and he said, friends, haven't you any fish? They said no. Verse 6, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And they did. They were unable to haul in how many fish that they caught because there were so many. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is probably John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Then they realized, woohoo, this is Jesus over there. He's the one that just told us to do this. Now, here's what I want you to remember. When Jesus was arrested and crucified, what did the brave soul Peter do? Who remembers? He 
denied Jesus to a servant girl to the point of swearing and calling down curses on himself. He said, I never knew the man. Doesn't that kind of like give you chills in your soul just to think that a Christian did that? You know, Peter walked with him, and he, there came a day when he called curses down himself. I swear, I don't know the man. Yikes. But then he watched Jesus go in the, tube and he, in the tomb, and he watched Jesus rise from the dead and was fully convinced that this man was God and conquered sin. Amen? And so now we see Peter, because of Jesus' sacrifice, become confident. And I love this. When Peter finds out that it is Jesus, everybody look. We're at verse 7. What did he do that none of the other disciples did? Such a cool story. What did he do? Yeah. He put his outer garment back on. He had taken it off probably because he's hot out in the boat. He wrapped his outer garment around himself, and he dove in to the lake. He was not waiting for the boat. Either he swam or he waited or maybe he walked on the water again. I don't know what happened here, but he plunged right in. He said, I'm not waiting for you guys. I'm swimming to my Jesus. I'm going straight to him. And he went right up on the shore with them, and they had themselves a little breakfast of bread and fish. Amen? When you go to pray, I want you to think of Peter. He failed God, but he believed in the sacrifice of Jesus. And when he saw him again, here's what he did. He confidently and wholeheartedly ran, swam, jumped in the water to get to his Jesus. Amen? And that is what every one of us should be and have the right attitude to do because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul says you can go to him with freedom and confidence. Then he said, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul says, look, I'm having a hard time here. I'm in prison. Things are getting rough. Nero's on the rampage. If you become a Christian and really live for him, life is going to get radically wild and you may die. But he says, don't be discouraged. And that is the context of the prayer that we are going to see him pray here. Okay? Now, the confidence that Peter had to go to Jesus is rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You guys, I'm sure, remember the famous words of the Lord when the ninth, three hours, darkness came over the land while Jesus hung on the cross. And right before he died, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Now, let me ask a very brutally honest question. How many of you in this sanctuary tonight have ever felt, Shelley, I don't have the right to go to God with what I need to go to him with because I just don't deserve to be near him. Who's ever felt like that? And does that not hinder us? Now, I want you to pin all your hopes on this moment. Why did Jesus have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My sin separates me from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran from God. They hid. They wanted out of his presence. Amen? When I sin, what do I want? I feel guilty. I want out of God's presence. I'm like, ah, cowering down. And that's the way it should be. I deserve to be forsaken by God. I deserve it. What Jesus did on the cross is so much deeper than physical death. For those three hours, we don't understand exactly what happened, but we know this one thing. Jesus became my sin offering. When the Bible says he was a mediator, you picture this. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, God the Father is up above, and God's saying, your sin, Shelley, deserves my wrath. I'm going to pour out my wrath on you, Shelley. Jesus steps in between God and me on the cross, and Jesus says, wait a second, God. She deserves to never be heard by you. She deserves to be forsaken by you but let me step in and be forsaken on her behalf and so on the cross if you think about what it feels like when you commit one sin against god you know how that feels nasty yucky guilt jesus took all the forsakenness of people on himself 
and stood between us and the wrath of God and absorbed our separation from God. And in his 100% God, 100% humanness, the human side of him cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, so that I could pray. So that I could be related to him. Are you with me? That is the reason that we have confidence. That is what we stand on. And as a matter of fact, after he cried that out, amazing things happened. He cried that out and the curtain was torn in two. Amen? And that curtain was what separated the holy place from the most holy place. God tore that curtain from top to bottom and said, No more will you be out and banished from my presence. Let's rip the whole thing down and you come on in. But I love how the earth followed up and said, you know what? We agree. Something amazing has happened here. Because according to Romans 8, even the earth is groaning under sin. Amen? And so when Jesus died on the cross, there was something with nature, the nature that he created that resonated what was going on there and said, you know what? We're quaking and shaking too because something incredible has happened here. Jesus has made the way for sinful people to talk to God. And then... A, a, a very obscure verse that many people don't realize, when Jesus died on the cross, the tombs broke open and these of many holy people were raised to life. And after Jesus was resurrected, they walked into the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine this? Jesus dies on the cross and after he's re- resurrected, you know, hey, there's Aunt Martha. I thought she died two years ago. No, no, she's walking around Jerusalem. Okay, this was just Jesus giving us a foretaste of what actually happens because of what he did. Amen? This is a major, major earth-shattering event. Jesus was forsaken so that you could talk to God. And so Paul says, in light of all this, here's what he says, for this reason, because of all these things, because of the freedom and the confidence, because of who God is and what he's given us, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And the word in the Greek literally means I bow my knee to the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Guess what? When you go to God, you better go to God with reverence. Amen? Paul starts with a big view of God. He says, first of all, when I kneel, I'm kneeling before the one who who gives everybody and everything their identity. Okay? This is confirmed in Acts chapter 17. This is what Luke said. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by hands. Okay? He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. If no human being on the face of the earth ever worshipped or served God, he wouldn't shrink one bit. you realize that? If none of us ever served him, wouldn't shrink him one bit. He doesn't need us to do that because he's the one that gives us life, breath, and everything else. So when you go to God, although we go confidently because of what Jesus has done, we should go reverently realizing we're dealing with the God who gives me breath. I'm not breathing unless he wills it to be so. Then he goes on to say that God made all people from one man, verse 27, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So when you go to God in prayer, you go confidently because of what Jesus has done, but reverently because of who God is, realizing how powerful our God is. Paul, or Luke then says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Unfortunately, in the church of Jesus Christ today, and we could name popular preachers who do so, people go to God to manipulate him. Amen? They go to God and they say, It's like we've made him in our image by our own design and skill. God is like this big Santa Claus up in the sky, and here's what I want for him. Here's what I want my life to look like. That's how I'm going to design my prayers. If that's what you're doing, you're in for a grand disappointment and much failure. Amen? We go to God not to manipulate, not to design what we want, but we go to God for his purposes. Okay, then Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
listen, and I want to be very clear on this because the Bible commands that if you are sick, ask the elders to lay hands on you and be prayed over. Amen? I am an insulin-dependent diabetic of 30 years, and I believe I only can still see and have healthy kidneys because I've prayed for healing, for God to keep me. Amen? I believe in physical healing. I believe in praying for all that. But what I've been trying to get my youth group to see is this. You pray for things bigger than physical things. Amen? There's something that's even more valuable. When your grandmother is very, very ill and she's dying, we are going to pray for her physical healing. But the most important thing we're going to pray for is that grandma knows Jesus Christ and that her eternal soul is saved. And in my 15 years with people of all denominations, adults and teenagers and children included, we are obsessed. If you go into a crowd of people and say, what are your prayer requests? 98% of the requests are what? Physical. Now, that's okay. We may have a lot of physical needs. But if that's true, I should also have 98% requesting what? Spiritual things. Look at what Paul prayed. He said, my prayer for you, and this is what I pray for the youth and young adults and the people of Norman Alliance Church, in case you haven't picked up on it. I'm into deep stuff. And this is what I pray for you. I don't want you to be hit by a car. I don't want you to get walking pneumonia. It wasn't pretty when Amy had this terrible bout with bronchitis. It was not pretty. I don't want that for you. But there's something bigger. I want you to pray about my diabetes. I desire to be healthy, but you know what I want you to pray for me? Pray that no matter what happens, it leads me closer to Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul said, here's what you should be praying for each other for. Change your paradigm. Quit worrying about all the physical things all the time and do this. Get down on your knees and pray that people would have strength in their inner man. Isn't that what it says? Your inner being. There is something more important than your physical body, and it is strength on the inside. Right? You can deal with anything physically if your core is strong, who you are, the inner man. Paul said, I want you to focus on the inside. I want you to pray for power on the inside. And I triple dog dare you. This is what I talked about this morning in my announcement. I prayed for my nephews for years. Jesus, keep me close to them. Let me have relationship with them. And let us talk about what matters. So we sit under the moon last night. There's a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old boy. You can't get 13 and 10-year-old boys to talk about any particular subject for more than two and a half minutes. For an hour and a half. I dialogued with Noah about the deepest things of God. That's an answer to prayer. Amen? And it's more important than me praying for his social studies grade. That's more important than me praying for his, if he had a broken arm. I'm praying for his eternal soul. And this is where I believe we're missing it. We had to gather together for prayer meetings to pray for each other, to have strength of the inner being. It's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, though the outer man is what? What does it say? Anybody know the term? Wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. It's an inverse relationship. Everybody, the older you get, as your hair falls out and your teeth fall out and you begin to grow shorter, it's an ugly scene, okay? Believe me, it's an ugly scene. Okay, hair turns colors, you begin to stoop over, everything starts to fall apart, fall away, nasty. Wrinkle up, okay? Paul literally said there's an inverse relationship going on. If you're a Christian, the more your body goes down, your spirit goes up. I'm telling you. It is beautiful. He's praying for strength in the inner man. He is asking here for what we saw in Stephen. You remember Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. The same Greek word for power is used here, dunamis. And here's what it means. Stephen was so full of God's power that he did wonders and miracles among the people. But opposition arose, however. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the what? 
the spirit by which he spoke. Opposition arose, but nobody could stand up by the spirit by which he spoke because Stephen was strong where? On the inside. He was strong on the inside. So here's what happened. He preaches a sermon, and they hate it. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. They go wild. When they heard this, they were furious, and they literally gnashed their teeth at Stephen, this huge group of Jewish people. But the Bible says Stephen, because he was full of the Holy Spirit, while these, this group of people in an age of persecution gnashes their teeth, you know, squeezes their fists and starts rushing at Stephen, you would think he would be like, ah, you know, scared to death. But here's what he did. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. These people are rushing at him with gnashed teeth and he looks up and he says, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. This is the only place in the Bible where we see Jesus standing at the right hand. Everywhere else he's sitting. Stephen saw him standing. Now listen, there's like a silence come over the room because this is so important. I pray that you guys would be so strong in your inner man that when literal, I'm not using this as a swear word, I mean this, when hell breaks loose against you. And I've been there. Some people sitting in this room know that I have been there. When that comes against you, if you have strength in the inner being, if you have prayed through for this, hell will come rushing at you in whatever form, people, circumstances. You will stand with your feet firmly planted and say, I see Jesus. He's waiting for me. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we should be praying for. Because opposition is going to come. You are going to get ill. You are going to die. Your car will break down sometimes. You will get sinus infections. Amen? But when hell breaks loose, will you stand and say, I see Jesus. Just let me keep my eyes on him, God. Come on at me. Let me keep my eyes on Jesus. And then we see what happens. While they were stoning him, and stoning him that day, they probably put him down in a pit and took huge rocks, huge boulders, and they all began to circle around that pit and began to throw these. He would become bruised. His bones would become broken. It's a terrible way to die because you wouldn't die right away. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he fell asleep. No. He didn't fall asleep. (laughs) Okay. If you're being stoned with boulders, you're not taking a nap. All right. That's not what this meant. It is a euphemism used in the New Testament to mean Stephen died. But it's a euphemism to emphasize this. Stephen passed easily from one world to the next. I literally, in my life, it almost brings tears to my eyes because I remember the first time I prayed this. And it will cost you if you pray it. I remember praying, Jesus, whatever you have to do in my life, whatever circumstances you have to take me through to do this to me, because I'm a stubborn fool. How many of you are hard-headed? Want your own way. (laughs) Okay, I said, Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever you have to do to my life, Make me so close to you that when I die, it is one seamless flow. That I am so close to you that like Stephen, when I see hell and death coming at me, I just say, I see Jesus. Here I come. Make me so close to you in this life that it's the smoothest transition right into his presence. Amen? And and that is what our prayer life should be about. Now, when you pray that, look out, because things are going to happen. 
but it is going to be so worth it. Paul, he's finishing up his prayer, and he said, look, this is what else I pray, not just for strength in the inner man, for power in there. He said, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want to make one important point here, and you want to make, might want to make a note of this. When the, when the Bible says, I pray that Christ would dwell in my heart, the word for dwell there is the same word that's used in Second Peter chapter 3 when the Bible says heaven is a place where righteousness dwells. Now, why do I bring that up? Let me ask you a question. Trisha, do you want any unrighteousness or sinfulness to be in heaven? Not even a little bit? Not just a little bit of discord? A little bit of sickness? Anybody? Spike? You want a tiny, tiny bit of unrighteousness to dwell in heaven? No. We want heaven to be what? Filled completely with righteousness because something in my heart knows that when righteousness reigns completely, things are good. The same Greek word that is used here that Christ may dwell in Shelley Prindle's heart is the same word used in Second Peter 3 that righteousness will dwell in heaven. You know what that says to me? I am praying. Please pray this for me when you pray for me. Please pray that Jesus will dwell in every corner of my heart. Not just my living room. Not just the kitchen of my heart. Not just the game room of my heart. Pray that Jesus dwells in every closet of my heart. You with me? Just like we want heaven to be totally filled with righteousness, I want every part of my heart to be totally filled with Jesus. I want people to sit with Shelley Prindle and think, I feel like this is heaven. Amen? No matter what it takes. And you know what? When uh, The way I've prayed all my life, yes. I believe that's part of the reason I struggle with an illness. I believe it's part of the reason I've been through so many problems because I've been honest with God and said, whatever it takes, God, dwell in my heart. Amen? That's what real prayer is about. It's bigger than praying for physical things. He said, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, and that's key, not just alone, but all of us together, to grasp how wide and long and deep and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, we're going to end on this, this couple of thoughts here, but stay with me because now we're going to do math. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Because this is on the tape. Okay, we're going to be selling these for Hope and Passion Ministries. I want everybody listening to hear this. I said, we are going to be doing math. Marty, Marty and Paul, you get a free one. Okay, yes. We're going to be doing math. I find this amazing. Paul said, I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Everybody who's taken basic geometry in this room knows this. When you want to find the volume of a cube, what do you multiply? Anybody? Length times width times height, said Kevin. Yes, that's what you do. You find the volume in a three-dimensional spatial world that we live in by length times width times height. And all the guts inside that cube will be fine by multiplying those three dimensions. Amen? That's truth. How many dimensions does Paul mention to his love? Four. It's as if God wanted to say to us, my love goes past what you can even understand in this world. My love, to get the guts, to get the inside, to get what my love is made of, what's inside that cube, it's not just what you can know in this life. It goes beyond that. When you think that God could not possibly love you because you've exhausted all human love, because you're sick of your own self, and you're like, how could God not be sick of me? Because his love goes wide, long, high, and what? Deep. Don't forget that. I've hung on to this for years and years. Don't equate God's love to human love. Don't equate his patience to human patience. His goes above what we can understand. And and let me just say this too. I believe that Paul also meant something by this. I believe when he said how wide is the love of God, how wide it is, means how far does it extend to the entire what? To the world. To the ends of the world his love goes. How wide? How long? How long does God suffer with us? How long does he love us? Anybody? Forever. 
When you cross from this life into the next, his love will still be there for you. His mercy is everlasting. How wide, how long, how high is the love of Christ? So high that it can take you where? Right into his throne room. You can sit right beside Jesus. Amen? It takes you high into his presence. And one day when Jesus comes back, it will take you up into the clouds to be with him in the air. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep. How deep is the love of Christ? I remember David writing in Psalm 139. If I ascend into the heavens, God, you're with me, he said, right? And then he said these amazing words. If I go down to the depths of Sheol, which is the place of the dead, if I go down to the grave, if I go down to hell itself, even there you're with me. Amen? How deep is God's love? I don't know how deep you've gone in desperation. I don't know how deep you've gone into depression. I don't know how deep you've gone into sin. I don't know how deep you've gone into loneliness. I don't know. But I know this. God's love is deeper still. When you think you've got to your lowest point, you're down here. Here I am. I'm so low, Shelly. God's love is always deeper. He's always underneath. Underneath are the everlasting wings to lift you up. Amen? No human may want to get down to where you are. It's too ugly. It's too messy. Too hard. But God is always what? He's always deeper. Okay, Paul said, I pray, and that's what I want, I'm asking you, I'm begging Norwin Alliance Church to pray for Shelly Prindle and my ministry to pray this, that I would know the love of God that is wide, long, high, and deep, that I would be strong in my inner being, and that's what I promise to pray for you. And then Paul ended it by saying this, and I want you to know this love. This is a weird statement. He says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Does anybody find that strange? What's the weird thing, what's the twist there? Do you get it? Some people are shaking, what are you, Connie, do you get it? What's he saying? What's weird about that? Yeah, I love that. Isn't God good? I want you to know something you can't know. Yeah. And, and it really, the second no has to do with knowledge. The first no has to do with experience. He said, I want you to experience a love that surpasses what you can understand, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Now, I put that image up there because in the Greek, the fullness of God, here's one of the connotations that it has. Fullness, specifically, this is what it says, fullness as a ship is filled with sailors, freight, oarsmen, and soldiers, and so is ready to make the trip. Isn't that cool? So Paul is saying, I pray that you would be so filled up with everything God has for you that you would have the oarsmen that could row you forward. You would have what you need to propel forward in life. You would have all the freight, all the supplies that you need to carry you through, all the soldiers, all the weapons of heavenly warfare to go and make the trip. Amen? That's the image he wanted to give us. I pray that you may be so filled to the measure with the fullness of God that you are ready to sail out and do whatever he asks you to do. How many of you would like to be there would you love to wake up in the morning and god and and say god what heavenly mission have you given me today is it to the person i sit by in my cubicle is it to my children is it to the person i'm going to run into in giant eagle what are you going to do because for me the other night it was sitting with my nephew for an hour and a half talking about spiritual battles in heaven and the difference between religion and salvation amen Those are heavenly encounters. God, where do you want my ship to go today? I want to be full and ready with the heavenly armor, with the supplies that I need, with everything that is necessary to do your will. And Paul ends his prayer by saying this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. Just ponder for one minute what paul just said he said when you pray know this god is going to do more than you even know what to ask for how many of you have ever looked back at your life and said i wouldn't have even known to pray for that and god did it I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't even thinking about asking for it. And God, this happened to me the other night. Something happened to me, a blessing so big. And I'm like, God, and I wasn't even praying that much for that. But you could do more than I even ask for. 
And you can do more than, I love this because I'm big on education and imagination. and dream. Listen, God literally said, I will do more for you than you can even ponder out to the nth degree. You know how imagination sends you to a place where you're like, that can't even be real. How could that possibly happen? Guess what? That's what God says he wants to do for us. And, and sometimes I think about it, I think, when I was five and six and seven years old, when I was in high school, and other kids were doing whatever they were doing, in my high school years, I remember kneeling in my bedroom in the basement and praying till two and three in the morning during high school with my Bible saying, God, use me, God, do something. Years and years and years later, now, if I would go back and I remember and I think, I can't believe I had the nerve to do that and to ask God for such big things. Guess what? God's into big things, isn't he? Ultimately, we will get more than we could ask or imagine because we all get what? Heaven. Heaven is so much greater than you can ask or imagine. But even now, God wants to do things that are immeasurable. But the key is, it is for his glory. To him be the glory. Amen? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you this evening. Father, um, all I would like to say to you this evening is thank you that your love is always deeper deeper than we could ever fall, deeper than any circumstance we could ever find ourselves in, underneath are the everlasting arms. You are always deeper, ready to pick us up. Father, I know you've brought together this specific crowd of people tonight because you wanted to talk to us about prayer. You want us to shift our paradigm to what really matters, to the big things of you. So, God, in the name of Jesus, just work in our hearts. There's not really anything more that I can say, God, because we have stuck to your word. Your word has said it all. We just ask in these moments, as pastors beginning to preach on prayer, as as I have shared this message this evening, and as we begin working towards a greater emphasis for Norwin Alliance Church on true praying, and seeking you, we're asking you to do great things, Father. Shift our thinking. Touch our hearts. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And uh, I always like to do this by way of commitment, by something that you will be able to remember. If um, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, uh, today on this Sunday evening, if you feel that the Lord has spoken to you in any way about prayer, about a change in your mindset, about Him, about you, about your confidence and freedom to go to Him, about what we need to be praying for, about strength in the inner man versus all of the things of life that we tend to focus on, about Him being able to do in us things beyond what we can imagine, if God has spoken to you in any way, And you want to respond to him and say, God, change me, help me. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and make a commitment to God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father. Put your hands down. Just think about it. You're you're raising your hand, making a commitment to God. And I'm seeing you too so that I can... God called me to speak this message for you, and I want to partner with you and pray for you continually that this word would be rooted in you and that you would truly grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know a love that surpasses knowledge, to approach him with freedom and confidence, to live your life ready to sail out for whatever God has for you, strengthen the inner man that when all hell breaks loose against you, you can see Jesus. Amen? So with your heads bowed again, is there anybody else who wants to respond and say, God, I am asking you to do a work in me tonight.
You've touched my heart. Now do a work in me. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father. You are an awesome God. You give us what we do not deserve. And we are so grateful. May Norwin Alliance Church and all the friends of Hope and Passion Ministries who've gathered here tonight, may we all, bonded in Jesus Christ, raise our hearts and our lives up to you in a concert of prayer and continual seeking of you for the great things that you have. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask um, if, I believe Vicky, you guys up there, if they want to play softly, I'm going to stay up front for a few minutes. If anybody wants to come up, I'd be willing to pray with anyone who wants to just, you don't have to tell me anything specific, but if you want to hold hands, stand up in the front and pray with me about a commitment you want to make about prayer, I would be happy to do that. Otherwise, the